Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Groovy. Nice. Marie, have you seen the video yet for I Love It? No. By Kanye West and Lil Pump? (gasps) Oh. Is it a Kanye? I, I don't know. I don't know if I can go back to Kanye. I've had, oh, my I'm God. I know. I know. But it's so good, Marie. Is it? Oh, his is albums. Better? Oh, my God. Is they're it, so good. Is it good? Holy. Oh, my God. They're so good. I might have to. I don't know. I mean, after like that recent that recent spat of uh, communique okay. from Ye, we, Ye's communique, we, I was like, what? Okay. Katie and I also <laughs> felt that way. But, um... His, al- his, al- his albums, his newest albums are so good because he lost his mind, basically. They're so good. Like, it's, and it's actually, I find it to be actually a really, almost a refreshing take on, like, mental health. So, I'm, I'm, like, dead, I'm actually dead serious. Like, um, listen, to, listen to his two latest albums, and you can hear someone, like, legitimately going through a troubling time with his uh, bipolar depression. It's pretty interesting. I think it's very good. I actually really like it a lot. I think he's very talented. And I the like vi- his early stuff quite a bit. <laughs> I just, after that last, after that last whole thing, I was like, I just don't know. I don't it's know gonna, what I can okay, do it's really, I can do. it's really hard to watch the video for I Love It and not come away thinking, it's hilarious. So I, I suggest really? it. I think it's good. Okay. Anyways. Do you think he's better than, uh, is it, is it as good of a video to, uh, this is America. Okay. They're different videos. This is America is a, is a really great video. It's like a masterpiece. Yeah. It's loved good. it. Absolutely loved it. I actually like listening to the video with all the gunshots better than the regular song. Really? I think the, yeah. I think they're really percussive and and really actually very musical, but the uh I love it is probably my favorite Roblox Roblox Minecraft inspired video of the last yeah. 20 years. We we're 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 far off the so, reservation now, Marie. We we're, are. Uh, Wait, we're, we're, I have a diatribe. I have a diatribe. Okay, make your make a diatribe. So, here's the thing that's bothering me the most right now. And when I say right now, like recently as of as of like a few hours ago, it's like people in their 20s. I'm going to go up to maybe 26 wearing uh, Misfits T-shirts, like Misfits as in the band, as in the black with the ghost face on it. Yeah. The New Jersey, New Jersey band. Yeah. Wonderful. Great, great, great punk band, by the way. Or what bothers me even more is if I see someone in this in said age bracket with a tattoo. With a Misfits Ghostface tattoo. I don't know why that bothers me so intently. I think it's because they've never heard the music before. Uh, I'm just going to throw it out there. Okay, okay. If, I, you want, if you want Instacred, you go get one of those t-shirts. Okay, I'm going to push back a little bit because I oh, am ooh. I am at the edge. Well, I'm at the edge of that age bracket. Mm-hmm. The Misfits have been one of my favorite bands since middle school. Maybe it's because I'm from Staten Island, and so we're so close to Jersey that, like, jer- any band that's even remotely from here that isn't Bruce Springsteen, I'm like, I love them. 
You know what I mean? Like you might even love Bruce. There's no, nothing wrong with loving no. Bruce. No, I gotta hate Bruce Springsteen so bad. Oh, uh, there's nothing wrong with loving Bruce. He's like it's, a guilty pleasure. You it's have nothing, room in your heart for both of these things. I don't think I do, Marie. I don't think I do. Oh. But um, yeah, no, I'm I'm with you though. It's funny they sell, they sell those shirts in uh, they sell those shirts in Hot Topic. Oh my right? god, Adnan. Of course, my them favorite. And, uh, them and Dead Kennedys. Yeah, so you guys. So, you, first of all, owned by the Banana Republic. Owned by the Banana Republic, selling Dead Kennedys merch. Oh I, God, that's I. Uh, you know, so yeah, tweet at me. But like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't. First of all, I know you've never seen them live because you weren't born by the time they broke up. Second, I just, I just, there's just something like I just, I just want to go and just squeeze their cheek and give them some hard candy and tell them how cute they are, and then yell at them to get off my lawn. I don't know. Okay, dear listeners, hello. <laughs> Thanks for joining the Mad Scientist podcast here. Going on a bit of a rant. Marie, not happy about the Misfits t-shirts. Uh, yeah, oh, and here's another fun fact. <laughs> another fun Want fact. really quick? An original Misfits t-shirt? Like the original issue? Yeah. Like, or an original issue like Pixies t-shirt from the Pixies are dead? Like I actually priced these out to see because I was going to get my husband one for his birthday. Holy smokes! Like five thousand bucks. Yeah, of course. Bucks. Of course, it's crazy. It's like that's insanity. I every every that. every garbage punk punk band I've ever seen, I keep all the t-shirts because I'm like, one day, one day they'll man, be, be on. They'll be on. Uh, I don't know when when Childish Gambino gets uh mm-hmm. gets normalized and then he gets given a TV show late night. Uh, he's gonna be on. You know, he's gonna be the host, and maybe I'll get to see Chemical Toilet. Uh, you know. It'll be great. Okay. Speaking of normalizing things through the coercive power of money, today's episode, we're we're doing Economic Collapse Part 2. Uh, welcome. Uh, I think we're going to call this one Surf Movie, but S-E-R-F Movie. I don't know if you guys get it. Jake, roll the tape. Welcome to the Mad Scientist Podcast! It's getting too serious. Okay. It is. We're doing great. Uh, Jake, Jake actually was gone for the past couple weeks. He was, he was uh, vacationing. And now he's back. Where was he? Anywhere good? I don't... I, I don't want to say because I don't know if I have his permission to say <gasps> Oh, not like Pete. No, it wasn't. It's he's not, in Fiji. <laughs> Jake, Jake spent his week in a uh, pile of needles. Um, no, I don't know where uh, Jake. Uh, I'm just not gonna say. But Jake, we're happy to have you back. We are. Okay. So last time we talked a little bit about economics, kind of how they, kind of what it means in the modern world in terms of economic collapse and how it's affected us. And actually uh, we just had the anniversary of nine 11 here, Mm -hmm. um, you know, which uh, also just, I mean, decimated uh, the, I mean, one of the financial centers, if not the financial center of the world, New York city, Manhattan. Yeah. Uh, So, you know, our, our, uh, our, our hearts and minds, I guess, go out to, you know, everyone listening who lost a loved one or, or knew someone, or it was just affected by the day generally. But uh, but economics is, it's so complicated in the last, I'd say hundred years, 
and not not even hundred years. It's gotten so complicated in the last seventy to eighty years. Oh yeah, th- the advent of computers. Right, that it seems very complicated today, or it's become very complicated from what was ultimately a very simple, modest, almost beginning. Now it's an interesting beginning philosophically. And the beginning is the abstraction of value to a commodity, to something else. Mm-hmm. So uh, w- a way that philosophers have characterized this kind of shift, a common way to characterize it is money is a money ultimately like goods and services generally are representatives of your labor time. Literally like the time that you're spending of your life. Doing I really something. was hoping you were going to say money is really the root of all evil. No, I was, that was going to be terrible. <laughs> Just a corny, awesome. a corny, <laughs> terrible line. It's the root of all evil. I'm striking <laughs> up people. Okay, sorry. Oh my Go goodness. ahead. So that's all, that's all the song you people are getting out of me today. It's good stuff. I like it. Uh, uh-huh. We're gonna have to get you singing. I don't know. We might have to break out some misfits now, just to. Just oh to, yeah. You know. Oh golly. Uh, okay. <laughs> so we have the. I mean, imagine, right? So I I'm, have a goat. You have a chicken. That right. Was barter. Exactly. We would barter for things, and so that was a direct trading of items for for goods or for goods for other goods, and that kind yes. of is a simple a simple version. The weird shift away from that is what happens when we start to live in more cohesive, more specialized groups. So, for instance, back when we were just trading goats with each other and whatever, pretty much everyone was was okay at a lot of different jobs. So you might be good at, at, you know, raising livestock. You might be good at raising, uh, you know, grain and uh, yeah. vegetables yeah. and whatever you I might had be, to be I had right. to be sort of all purpose to survive. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah. You, you had to be, Oh, you had to be a Jack of all trades, master of none. Mm-hmm. When we started living in groups together in more centralized, like stable locations, as opposed to hunting and gathering. And even when we were hunting and gathering to some extent, there was specialization. But when we started to live in groups as a kind of society, a, a pseudo society or proto society, you know, if if my I don't know, if my livestock was really good, was really productive and fat and, you know, well taken care of and whatever. And Marie's, you know, farm goods, her grain was really plentiful. Her vegetables were big, whatever we could have the luxury to start specializing in our own stuff because even if I didn't know how to, how to, you know, uh, if I wasn't good at farming or Marie wasn't good at livestock or we both weren't good at hunting or whatever, there was someone in the society that we could always barter with that was good at that thing. And so because mm-hmm. of that, our skill sets started to specialize and we started to become basically things became more efficient because you're doing a task consistently and learning it and building it into a kind of a trade. Yes. You're going but, to, it's very deep instead of very wide. With Exactly. Uh, yeah. But the disparate, the difference of the value then of what you're trading became more pronounced. So for instance, uh, Marie is really good at farming, but let's say that there's, 
50 other people in my society who are good at farming. Right? Yes. But there's well, only maybe not as good, but semi good. Sure. Right? Like, no, they're not they're comparable. Right, no, they're not like a Marie level well, of good. Not, yeah. Right? <laughs> let's get that straight. But let's, let's <laughs> even though this is a fictional it's account, fine. It's I am fine. an excellent. Sure. Farmer. You're a great farmer. Whew. But let's say that let's say though that Bill down the road is a really good uh is a really, really good brewer of beer. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or is a really is really good. You know, May down the block is really good at making silversmith. a silversmith or or whatever. Right. Metallurgy arts. Yep. That stuff is so specialized that it takes a larger cut of the of the of the deal, basically. So as opposed to trading one goat for a bushel of grain, I'm trading you know, one set of silver spoons for a thousand bushels of grain. Yes. So, yes. and so, somebody who's not as good at, at something, but is just as plentiful can also command a lower price. So you have more market right. to choose from. And so as we started to specialize and as we started to get better at these tasks, basically it almost first off there, it, it a caste system started to develop what appears to be almost naturally. Now that is a really well-known philosophical falsehood or, or uh, what's the word? It's a really well-known uh, fallacy, right? It's the naturalist mm-hmm. fallacy because something appears to be natural. It must mean that it's the way it should be right. Mm-hmm. Just because mm-hmm. a caste system seemed to develop doesn't mean we should have had a caste system, right? It doesn't right. mean that we should still it's have not, one in today's evolution. economy. Right. It's exactly, it's not, yes. exactly. It's not an, it's not an evolution not natural, towards yeah, something. Yeah. It's yes. a, it's just a change. It's a change. It's a change necessitated by capitalism too. Right. Because right. you decide you did something is worth value and you're going to assign a value to it. Right. And even if it, and even yeah. if it is natural, even if in a hundred percent of societies, this is the way it develops, that doesn't mean it's the way it should be morally. That's really the important. Well, yeah. thing, right. Yeah. So, okay. So now we're starting to, yeah. we're, we're starting to specialize. And because mm-hmm. we're starting to specialize, we're also starting to innovate and we're starting to create better and better societies, frankly. Right. So suddenly there are masons who are able to actually build things out of stone. As opposed to yes. out of, you know, mud and, and you know, uh, yes. straw and dab huts and whatever, right? There yes. are people who are getting good at treating illnesses, who are getting good at treating uh, yes. infections See, or other things. History of Surgery are episodes. We don't have the episode number, but check no, out the but History of Surgery. Ch- check it out, like, a couple back. And... <laughs> And also, it's another thriller. (laughs) And also, episodes on surgery. I love that one, though. It it is a good one. It is a pretty good one. Keep going. And people who are really good at very specialized, difficult to perform tasks, or just tasks that are in demand. They don't have to be difficult necessarily, right? So the guy, Mm -hmm. the guy working at the silversmith forge for an hour, is not necessarily working harder than the person in the field getting corn or getting grain or whatever for an hour. Right. Yes. And I would also say there's like a lot of randomness with proximity and, and land ownership. So if you live on a property, you own property that is next to a running stream, you have the ability to utilize 
that property to make money, right? right? So you can have a mill, you can charge for transit. There's all these other things that you actually have secured that maybe other people do not just based on, just based on sort of, um, you know, what you, what you own already. Exactly. Yeah. So what, interestingly, what started to happen then was let's say I'm the silversmith and I already have enough cows. I have enough grain, right? The winter's coming, but I have enough grain to feed my family for like four winters in a row. Mm -hmm. Well, I want to trade for stuff that I can then trade away, but it, there's not as much utility in me having a good that I have to trade. So what basically the, the, the turn, the philosophical shift that occurred in our way of thinking about labor was, well, then what if instead of me trading for grain or fruit or whatever, stuff that can go bad or it can get burned or whatever, what if I traded for something that it seems to always be valuable to people that I can store someplace easily and which when I want to use it, I can trade away for grain or cows or whatever because people yes. seem to like it. And it's a representational value of what I, of a cow, of, of a barter system. Well, at this, at this yeah. point, at, I mean, it is, it does well, ultimately. it's tied directly. It's exactly. tied directly it, to it, but it's it, still not a cow. It ultimately becomes representational when it becomes fiat currency. Yes. But yes. at this point, yes. we're talking about gold and rubies and gems and whatever, right? Silver yes. or whatever the heck they had. Okay. Now, there's still, there's like dispute about, you know, gold is shiny, you know, so maybe it was just that we thought it was shiny, whatever. Shiny. But gold is also yes. very, like, gold doesn't rust, it doesn't corrode, um, mm -hmm. it's very long-lasting, and it just has always, for some reason, uh, you know, held a lot of value to societies. So that was the thing that we really first started shifting towards, was the trading of long-lasting ores and gemstones and things as a form of money. Yes. And so that is really where our economies begin, because suddenly you're not just bartering. I mean, you still had an economy when it was bartering, but now because you're not because it's just gold that you're trading back and forth, it's a lot easier to trade. You don't have to worry about storing it in the same way you'd have to worry about storing a cow, say, or grain or land or whatever. Yes. And it can also be used for. It basically has limitless potential. It's it's just buying power. Yes. It can be passed from generation to generation. Exactly. Another huge it, point. Yeah. Yes. Um, and you, you can assign a, you can agree on what a value is. Like a cow, again, is more like back and forth, like this cow is too old and it will not give me milk. I'll have to slaughter it in two years, yada, yada, yada. But gold, you can agree on a value and that value is going to hold not just in your little town, but like larger, a larger percentage of people will understand and agree on what that value is going to be assigned to Yes, for, for gold. Yeah. So we, so at this point we're kind of, I mean, this is kind of the way it developed. It seems in almost every, I mean, in almost in every society that had access to gold or some yes. kind of, or something valuable that could be traded. Now we actually had a listener uh, write in, with a really cool, uh, really cool message about uh, salt. 
right? Oh, so yes. salt was used actually yes. as a form of currency as well, uh, because it's again, yeah. it is it is inherently valuable. It is inherently useful. It's more useful than gold is, frankly, you know. Yes. And uh, it, it's very it's very interesting actually. I, I think it's, it's very just cool. Too plentiful. It's too plentiful to commoditize to use as a. Um... Uses currency. That's well, problem. but this is the thing, though. They used it across uh, Africa, right? Because it, it was plentiful, but it was not not plentiful in the same way that we're thinking today, right? So um, this is actually from uh, this is actually from uh, Conchetta, who is a great uh, listener to the show. Thank you so much. So this is what uh, this was written into us. Uh, Hi, Chris and Marie. Listening to economic collapse. Quickly wanted to chime in. One of the earliest currencies, items traded to represent the value of items with inherent value, was traded between West African civilizations slash empires and the civilizations east of there, so Saharan and Arab. Salt. Mm -hmm. Salt yeah. was used in food preservation and so was very inherently valuable across the board and not as plentiful in Western Africa. So they would trade oh, okay. away gold and receive salt. It's um, so fascinating. It's, it's so amazing. It's very interesting, right? So... Mm -hmm. uh, Thank you so much for, for sending in the message. Seriously, we love hearing from fans. Very, very cool. Um, so, uh, so actually, uh, Conchetta 2 runs the, uh, runs the Lyle, uh, the museums at Lyle Station Park in Illinois, in Lyle, Illinois. So if you're there, go check what? it out. Listener to the show. Support listener-run businesses. Absolutely. Uh, what is, is what super is the museum cool. of? Now I want to know. It, it actually uh, it appears to be a um, it appears to be a couple of different things. It seems to have um, the Gold. history and <laughs> roots of the culture of Lyle, uh, which is this this town in awesome. northern Illinois. Yeah, it's really cool. So go check it out. It's like it's they've got you know they've got a blacksmith there. They've got kind of an old timey train station. They got things of, of local veterans. They got a garden, you know, recreations cool. and stuff. It's very cool. So go That's check it cool. out if you're there. I hope and we can get down sometime. So many places that don't like that's just gone. Seriously, you know? right? Okay. Yeah. So anyways, so we're trading things now that have inherent inherent value in some way. And so we basically come to the Greeks. The Greeks are a, the Greeks are just kind of a center of uh, of Western thinking, <laughs> you know, I to be completely honest. I turn the corner on that. Just, you know, you just roll right into the Greeks. Well, so, so here's the thing, right? As all roads, all, all those roads lead to Greece and then they immediately yeah. leave. Well, um, so, well, I mean, they're, they're like the big, I'm not, they are one of the largest, you know, like you were going to say, they're one of the largest civilizations that we still have yeah. records of. Yes. Let's put it that way, right? Yes. There might have been other great civilizations, you know, around the same time. I mean, there were. There was Egypt, obviously, right? But Mesopotamia. Um, yeah. Mesopotamia. There were all kinds of other civilizations. But the ones that in the West, at least, we derive most of our cultural uh, and, and th you know, academic thinking from is the Greeks. So they were – what's funny with money is – the, as soon as you start to have enough of it to be able to do all those things like survival, right? You're a total jerk. You can, you can start uh, wasting money by thinking about how corrupt it's made your values. Right? <laughs> so well, you're, it's inherently, again, like you're, you're now using something. Like I would argue that gold and coins, gold, silver, 
has yes it can be traded yes it but it can't really be used for like you can't build out of it it doesn't it's not like steel or aluminum and it's just sort of again it's it is inherently just a shiny object right and if you're, you're amassing something that means absolutely that has absolutely no moral or ethical value then you're probably gonna you know have some bumps in the road yeah. my two cents no absolutely Sorry. so uh so the and again, this was, there were, we've, we've talked about how uh, in the Fertile Crescent, right, there were ideas about, um, you know, money and ownership and things like that, right? There was money itself in Sumer, there was money mm -hmm. in Egypt, um, there was money in, uh, money just all over the place, basically, yes. right? Yes. And, uh, but it is again from people like Xenophon and Plato and Aristotle that we have some of our most clear uh some of our most clear ideas on money that became very popular and continued to be popular later on okay so uh, xenophon discussed this idea of the division of labor which we talked about before mm -hmm. right this idea of your labor becomes uh, broken apart because you're able to specialize and so we're able to create a division but inherently in that division there are disparities Right. Um, he also mm -hmm. came up with an idea of uh, something like an idea of value. Right. Mm -hmm. Although um, he said that that was mostly from exchange, but it's not necessarily the same idea that we talk about today when we think of a theory of value. But uh, anyways, that was kind of Xenophon's part of that. Yeah. And then Aristotle, Plato and Aristotle really ran with the idea. Now, Aristotle in particular talked about in the politics uh, how different forms of a state existed and which one he thought was best. And spoiler alert, Aristotle, the philosopher thought the best kind of society was the one where a person like Aristotle ruled. <laughs> so Aristotle has this, mm -hmm. this quote from the politics. This is from book two, part five quote, property should be in a certain sense common, but as a general rule, private for when everyone has a distinct interest, men will not complain of one another and they will make more progress because everyone will be attending to his own business. And further, there is the greatest pleasure in doing a kindness or service to friends or guests or companions, which can only be rendered when a man has private property. Oh, these, yeah. these advantages that, that happens all the time. Oh yeah. These advantages <laughs> are lost by excessive unification of the state. Mm -hmm. um, he also talked about how uh, money ultimately is a way to basically a way to ruin your values that money was a form of. So Aristotle and Aristotelian ethics has this idea of balance. And so you didn't want to be, you know, if you were, if you had the right amount of courage, you weren't headstrong, but you also weren't a coward, right? You were just courageous enough to do some stuff, but not, you know, run into a, a burning building and burn alive. Right. Um, uh, he had the same moderation, the he moderation had the same, in all things. Exactly. And so he had the same idea about uh, the same idea about money as well. Right. So you should be uh, you should want to produce or, or be successful enough that you, you know, build your society up and whatever. But you don't want to be greedy. You don't want to become, you know, uh, like a Scrooge McDuck just hoarding gold. Right. So earlier, I tweeted about DuckTales, the most recent one. Okay. Excellent. 
just as a shout out, if you haven't watched it already, you should start watching, watching DuckTales. Speaking of Scrooge McDuck, because it is that good. It's really, really awesome. And David Tennant voices Scrooge McDuck. Continue. Interesting. Dude, he's awesome. He's really good at it. That's pretty good. Uh, I will really quickly, too. I mean, I think right on the heels of Greece, though, you know, and sort of getting the um, moral and philosophical underpinnings of money you have the romans that really actually were much more organized and um decisive and controlling with money and augustus caesar is the one that put into place regulated money within rome yeah absolutely yeah and so um and and taxation right because you can't be making money can't be making money unless, um, you know, all these good people that he was talking about, like, oh, yes, they're going to be they're going to be taking care of their friends and, you know, bringing over picnic baskets and stuff like that. No, no. The yeah. state's going to start asking for something. Right. <laughs> so uh, at the same time as some of these ideas around ancient Greece, we also had other ideas that were going on. Right. So we had mm -hmm. um, ideas in India, for instance. Right. So uh, the the rule of. Uh, Parakrama Bahu, the first of Sri Lanka, actually had a uh, had a current. They had currency, of course, right at that point. Basically, everyone had currency of some kind. But mm -hmm. they are uh, they're actually it's interesting. They went to war to defend free trade across Burma from Sri Lanka to Burma. We're very interesting, right? So they had this idea of that as being important. You also had people like uh, Chana Chanakya. Um, who had this idea about how um, you needed to have uh, ethics in your economics. So economics was no good if you were just doing it to amass wealth. You had to then use that wealth for the good of other people, Ooh. right? And then he also had this idea about um, – he, he, he wrote a lot about the ideas of – specifically about ec the economics of uh, autocracies. So you have a king who, who basically um, commands the economy, right? So very interesting ideas going on in ancient India, um, in Greece, in Rome, and then also as well in China, of course. We talked about mm -hmm. last time how uh, China was one of the first places to actually have a currency, a paper currency itself, yes. right? Um, yes. But one society that is often overlooked in the discussion of economics is actually the Islamic world. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, it's actually really interesting. This is a quote from Ibn Tamiyah. I think I'm saying that right. I'm probably saying it. I don't think I'm saying it right. I'm definitely saying mm. it wrong. But so he said, quote, if desire for goods increases while its availability decreases, its price rises. On the other hand, if availability of the good increases and the desire for it decreases, the price comes down. Ghazali, another writer, suggests an early version of price inelasticity of demand for certain goods. And he and Ibn Miskawai discuss equilibrium prices. Um, very interesting. Very, very interesting stuff. Right? They had That's this crazy. idea of supply and demand. They had this idea mm -hmm. about how there was an equilibrium between the two ideas. Right? So, uh, but here's the really fascinating thing. One thing that all of these people lost, all these people did not have in mind, okay, was what if the value of gold and silver change? 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, that's an excellent question. You should have somebody who's in charge of that. Probably, right? So all of these societies are trading gold and silver, mm-hmm. but they are completely... They, and, and this is kind of, we're hinting at something that's going to come about in a couple of minutes here, mm-hmm. but they're all just assuming that gold and silver will have a static price, that it will always be valuable equally across all people. There mm-hmm. is no hint in their ideas yet even and and really there wasn't until i mean started to run low on gold right ba- i mean basically yeah mm-hmm. basically until Scarcity. the modern day what if we start to run out of gold what if we start to run out of wood what if we start to run out of water right this idea of scarcity was it was local none of this is global at this point still it's all about mini economies no one really started besides the besides the ancient indian besides the ancient indian economists no one really was thinking about global economies yet, right? You mm-hmm. had these big societies like Rome, like China, like the yeah. Islamic world. You had Which these big, huge. I mean, these huge, huge yeah. groups of people, but economics was still thought of as small. It was still thought of as a, as a local microeconomic kind of thing. Yes. Okay. Yes. So, uh, and then of course, our favorite time period happened for the West, at least. Uh, the Dark Ages, where we decided it was all actually demons and we should just stop worrying about it. <laughs> so let's just lock ourselves in a house and write stuff like Beowulf. Right. Let's put all of our smart people into monasteries where they cannot yeah. breed. No, let's lock no. them up. Yeah, you know, we should hold on to all the books too. Keep them out, keep, keep them out of the gene pool. Yeah. You don't need we, them. We don't need to read. And if we see anybody we don't know, we'll club them to death. That's, that's not a bad idea. 100%. So basically, the Middle Ages, all of our thought went, thankfully, it was kept by the Islamic world yes. and China and yes. India and all these yes. other countries. But yes. Europe, uh, Europe kind of, you know, literally went into an age of, un- of, of unenlightenment. But you still had people, though, that were talking about economics. So Aquinas, um, yes, Aquinas had this idea about economics. Saint um, and, Thomas Aquinas, exactly. Right? And yeah. in in particular, a lot of what a lot of what their contribution to econom- economics is is the moral or normative aspects of economics. So Aquinas talked about things like, you know, what is how is it legal or how is it moral that say, uh, you know, uh, that the, po- wh- how can a just God allow there to be poor and rich? How did that disparity mm. happen? How can that mm. be a disparity? And so they came up with the idea, this idea of the, 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 the economy of heaven, basically God's economy. That's awesome. Which I is really interesting. That. So, um, <sighs> The economy, it's, it's, it's pretty interesting. Because God helps 
God helps those who help themselves, right? Is sort of where that is going to be tying into, which is sort of, a you know. But I mean, something like that, but also specifically about how did, how is it that how is it that the rich like the Beatitudes, right? You had things like mm-hmm. uh, you had things that said that, you know, uh, blessed are the poor for they shall inherit the kingdom yes. of heaven. Right. Yes. Or blessed yes. are the meek for they shall inherit the so, earth. Yes. Yes. Those are those are still waiting for it. That's <laughs> right. That seems really good if you're rich. Right. <laughs> right? Like that's. Oh, yeah. yeah. OK, yeah. great. That yeah. takes the pain off of me. Yes. Exactly. My serfs aren't my serfs are going to be fine. They're going to get to heaven, you know, and I'll and I'll pay the church a little bit and they'll forgive my sins and then I'll get to heaven, too. For church. Yes. And we can all party with Jesus. It's going to be awesome. All of this works. It's going to be awesome. Um, So that's kind of where those ideas came in. And specifically one that they talked about a lot during the medieval period was um, was banking questions around the morality of banking institutions. Mm. Now, Banking sort of started, I mean, basically banking started as a way of, um, you know, I'm, I'm a landowner. I have a lot of cows, I got a lot of grains, whatever. Mm-hmm. I collected all this gold. I want to put it someplace. Yes. Right. I want to get rid of it now. and hide it someplace safe. And so I'm going to pay someone to hold on to my cash for a little bit. Right. Basically to hold it in a vault somewhere. Yes. That's how the banks originally started to operate. On top of that, though, they had a part in a practice known as usury, or usury, not usury, yes. usury. Usury, yeah. And what the idea was is I don't have a lot of money, but I got a dream, right? I got I'm an scrappy. Idea. I have moxie. I'm scrappy. I can do it. So I'm going to ask the bank to lend me 50 pieces of gold. Mm-hmm. And I'll pay them back, you know, 55 pieces in a year. After I sell this big old book in Middle English on Beowulf, that's Absol- going to be an instant bestseller. Absolutely, right? Yes. Uh, basically, the medieval equivalent of becoming a podcast host. Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> the, uh, they called it, they called usury the sin that never stops. Because it's a pretty good way of putting it. It's a great way of putting it, right? Because you just keep borrowing, and and the longer that it sits out there, the more money you as the lender are taking from someone who's un- who's who's disadvantaged, right? Yes. Now, the idea, the, some of the, the arguments are really hard to understand, uh, in my opinion, around uh, around usury. Like the way that they describe it is, if I trade you, like if. It, if I trade you a goat, Marie, mm-hmm. or if I trade you a shovel, you can yes. use the shovel and shovel. then you can give the shovel back to me. Yes. Right? Okay. But if I lend you gold, the only value of gold is to be, is to be traded for something else. So I have to get back more. Yes. But their argument was that doesn't make any sense because the, the, the point of money is not to make more money. The point of money is to trade for a good. Right? So money's purpose was like, basically the argument boiled down to, if I trade you a shovel, you don't give me back two shovels. 
right? Like, mm-hmm. you give me back my original shovel. So how is it that I can trade you money and then you give me back more money? That's just stealing. It's just me stealing from you money. Just like it would be me stealing a second shovel from you. Yes. That view didn't hold for very long, really. No. And the other, yep. the other argument they had, too, was that in hoarding money, if money just kind of grew, they mm-hmm. thought of that as another sort of grotesque sin, basically. Is, well, yeah. Because <laughs> the art, well, but I mean, literally, yeah. I mean, literally, like, you just hold money and then over time it becomes more valuable. They thought of that as, again, like, money's purpose is they, they had no concept that that could happen. And so their their ethical ideas had this idea of, like, a single piece of gold will always be just worth what one piece of gold is always worth. It'll mm-hmm. never change. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so money can't grow. Their argument was that, you know, uh, the val- like, holding on to money itself to them wasn't necessarily sinful. It, it might be if it was too overly greedy, let's say. Um, but the idea that, like, he specifically states basically along the lines of money's purpose is to purchase, not to not to grow into other money. So mm-hmm. when it grows into mm-hmm. other money, it's basically uh, working against its ethical purpose, and so that is itself unethical. Hmm. Mm-hmm. It's all very weird. It's it's very it's very specific, and it seems like one of those things where that's okay because it was also very short lived. <laughs> the idea, the idea that money should be spent, still popular. The idea that you should amass wealth to spend said money, even more so. <coughs> well, so what happened was, I mean, literally, what happened was the church started getting in loaning money. <laughs> And then the church was like, this is great. Look at how well this works. Exactly. Yeah. And so uh, specifically, they started doing it for the Crusades. And oh. so it was it was this like perfect oh, mix of stuff. And they were like, this is great. We can make so much money this need way. Weapons. Yeah, you need weapons. They're going to go. They're going to slaughter people. They'll bring back slaves. They'll bring back other gold. Yes. Yeah, oh, it was pretty wonderful. And <sighs> basically, that kind of idea about money and specifically too. So this is also the period where serfdom and feudal uh, mm-hmm. economies were prosperous and, and plentiful, I should say. So for those that don't know, a feudal economy is basically you have a, a landowner yep. who owns all of the stuff that you work with. They own all of the land you work. They own the animals you take care of. They own the corn and not the corn. <laughs> you know, they, they own the grain. Mm-hmm. They own all the stuff you're, you're actually producing. And mm-hmm. so you work for them on their land and they basically provide for you a wage. They provide for you a safe place to live. They protect you with guards and stuff. But ultimately, mm-hmm. you're under their yes. law. You're under their dominion. Yes. 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 And so that was an, that's another important context it's piece indentured. here. Yes. That's another important context piece here then to this idea of uh, of where Aquinas was coming from with his ethics is there was no sense of, like you could not become a small businessman right if you are tra- mm-hmm. if you're giving someone money if you're loaning someone money it's because they are either starving to death <laughs> or they're about to get pummeled to death because they owe someone else money 
right? They're they're involved in something illegal or something, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, it, it's not the same as say today. And I mean, this might be, you know, Aquinas might be shaking his hand at me from heaven, but it's not the same kind of economy where we think of today, where money is money is money is almost separated from us in America, at least today, money is not fully separated from us having the means we need to live at all by any means. Right. Mm -hmm. But you're a lot better off generally. I would say uh, it's, it's become more subverted in that you may not physically be living on someone's land milling their grain to bake bread so you can eat but you're giving most of the bread to uh you know because you're a serf so you're giving it to the master but you are still the idea of indebtedness has become just it's still like as insidious like i think that's one of the big problems that uh, Aquinas had with debt too is like the insidiousness that you never you don't come out of debt that it is sort of this this ownership kind of almost over your soul and it was much more literal then but now you have debt in all sorts of different ways that are still that still aren't necessarily maybe doesn't affect you on a daily basis but still has an overall effect on your life mm-hmm. absolutely you know? absolutely oh Okay? So, yeah, I'm I'm like okay. coughing like crazy. Oh, God. <coughs> I actually muted my mic for a second so I could just like oh, hack up along. You know, I'm getting so good at this radio thing, Marie. Um, huh? <clears throat> let me, let's finish this section. Okay. okay. We're at 44 minutes, so we could probably finish this episode, yeah. honestly. Well, let's, 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 uh, let's get to, uh, let's get to the fiat. Let's do fiat next time, because I think fiat rolls right nicely into everything else that's happening. Okay. So, um, well, let's, let's, yeah, let's keep going for now. And then we'll, we'll, mm-hmm. we will get to Fiat here. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Cool. So, cool, cool. okay. So things are, things pretty much stayed the status quo. Now that actually does raise an interesting question though. That's often brought up in philosophy classrooms, like philosophy of economics or whatever, which is, is someone who is, let's say a homeless, someone without a home in the United States, are they better off than someone who is homeless in, I don't know, like West Africa or something? Hmm. Sort of an impossible question to really answer. Cause I would consider both being systemically different causes, but your same outcome. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. But it's, it's kind of though that same, it's kind of the question that, I think Aquinas was sort of starting to get to, mm-hmm. which is this idea of, is it, it's better to be, or this is kind of, I think not, not Aquinas necessarily, but this is some of the kind of, I'd say economic, almost not revisionism necessarily, but almost economic, like, like ethical kind of massaging of situations that economy that economics had us start to do now which is these ideas of you know yeah you're poor you're destitute you're having a terrible time whatever but at least i gave you a hut right at least you have land to live on at least you're not getting attacked by wolves right so it creates this and so every generation every society that we keep we, we move past 
our general standard level of what we consider to be the bare minimum that a society should should help us with gets higher and higher. Right. And you're going to notice that as economies develop, as we keep talking about these economic Mm -hmm. ideas, that level of where what we thought was an an inalienable human right, what we thought Mm -hmm. was the role Mm -hmm. of governments that Mm -hmm. is tracked 100 percent with with economic policy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. So this is also probably when you start to see supply side economics coming in. Well, yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's very very interesting. I, I think it's that's why that's why we didn't do this episode for so long because there's just so much here, Marie. We were okay. broke. Now, <laughs> so uh, the next big train of economic thought that came about was what's known as mercantilism. Okay. Yes. Now we didn't really touch on this before. Aquinas, all of those societies previously, besides it appears at least ancient India to some extent believed that trade with other countries was bad. They thought all it did, it you, you should be self-sufficient, right? It, if you had to rely on another country, it made you weak. It let mm-hmm. them cut you off and then attack yes. you in some way, right? Yes, it, yes. Uh-huh. Trade up to this point was thought of as being a, a bad thing. It was not good for societies. Mercantilism completely changed that. As soon as we were, as soon as we were able to travel around the oceans more freely, more safely, more reliably, suddenly you could, you know, you could live in Iceland and get an orange, right? Like, like it would cost you, it would cost you an insane amount of money at the time. I don't even know if Iceland was, was actually, uh, I don't even know if Iceland was a thing at that point still, but Mm. I don't know. I don't know, Marie. I don't know. I don't know my Icelandic history well enough, I guess. But you know what I'm saying? Like, you could actually start to get goods and services and things, spices, especially uh, jewelry, things that you never would have even imagined before. Textiles. Yes. Absolutely. You could also one of my absolute favorite one of my absolute favorite bubbles, economic bubbles comes around this time. Yes. Which is the tulip. Yes. The tulip bubble of, uh, of I want to say it's Dutch. I can't remember the exact year. 1600s? 1500s? Some, something around there. I think it was the 1500s. Yes. Yeah. Where basically tulips that have zero, like less than gold, became um, this signifier of wealth. And this insane fashion statement. Just in, yeah. And if you were able to afford a tulip or tulip bulbs, you could like you could trade tulip bulbs for property for homes for they had like it made our tech bubble and our all anything in a in a recent american history kind of look i don't know relatively ordered because it was so it was so inflated and so strange but it's again like they had never seen tulips before necessarily no, I... or the the influence of trade in mercantile had 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 its own persuasion and had its own sort of cultural um you know it, the mystique of it the difference of it you know that this is something that is rare and is commodified because it is so or not commodified but it's rarefied to such a point that nobody else has it yeah it, it, it i would say the closest the closest analogy i can think of marie is actually mm-hmm. the tickle me elmo bubble 
the tickle, the great tickle me Elmo bubble. That's do you right. do you remember when that was like? Maybe you were you. I mean, Julia. No, wasn't, I remember. I no, no, no. Julia wasn't there for that. But no, man, I remember that. I remember being. I remember that people. I was like, "What is up with that thing? Is sketchy to begin okay. with? It's scary." I, re- I remember being. This is very embarrassing for me, Marie. Excellent. I remember being like ten years old, maybe. Uh huh. Uh huh. Right. Had my little. Had my. Had my uh, child size. You know, uh, <laughs> skateboarding shirt on. Aww. Whatever my uh, mm-hmm. my conch shell necklace. Right, mm-hmm, my tips, mm-hmm. my tips, mm-hmm. highly spiked. I remember nice. going to a block part, like a block party kind of thing, with my with my dad, and I remember him being like, "Oh, we're gonna enter a raffle for a Tickle Me Elmo because I really wanted one." And we really? entered, we entered the raffle, and I remember, I remember being in the car and them calling the thing, and my dad was like, "Oh no, he didn't win," and I just cried so oh. hard. I was so upset, Marie. I got one like pretty soon after, I feel like, but I was I was like, what do you mean? Wait, I'm tough. I I can do a kickflip. I'm tough. I'm cool. I'm not crying. You're crying. You're stupid. You're the one who tickled me. Um anyways. So so mercantilism really had this idea that the trading generally was good but what countries were and so the biggest mercantile economies were, were places like portugal spain yeah. right uh you know Ports. italy yeah yeah port places basically yeah. what these countries started to realize though was they were trading so much that the country's stockpile of of like total gold was becoming depleted Mm-hmm. And suddenly there was like a mad dash. It was like, what do you mean we're out of gold? We can't be out of we're we're Portugal. We can't be out of gold. And so they actually started to pass laws against extravagance. They were they they had to start they actually had to start imposing tariffs, steep, steep tariffs yes. on goods to say, you know, if if you were caught with a silk handkerchief, you you were fined. Yeah, because you were you were literally austerity. You were measures of austerity. Exactly. You were ruining you were ruining the economy of your country literally by removing all of the value of your country by trading for stupid junk. Yes, but you also know, like, austerity measures never go over well. They don't go over well now. Like Greece just came out of one. No, and it's like that was not a that was not an easy, fun, popular thing by any stretch of the imagination. Well, and so and so that's actually where mercantilism showed suddenly showed that the the old models of economies and there weren't really models at this point. It was just kind of philosophical thinking. Right. But the old idea of, of economies that, you know, there was an you know, gold would always be worth the same amount. That the value of gold didn't change. And so, you know, uh, which was shown to be completely untrue because when countries started to lose gold, the value of each individual piece of gold went up in that country locally. Yeah. Right. right. So it basically led to things like inflation. It's It led yeah. to uh, things that we didn't even think were possible before this period. And uh, it also started to show that there was some idea of a of a global economy. Right. It wasn't just local anymore. There were larger things at play. There were socioeconomic Mm -hmm. 
things. There were political aspects to economics. You're sending money and goods to a totally different economy in a different country. So yeah, Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. It, it started to bring about these other kinds of questions. But the other thing it really started to show was the that disparity of the division of labor had gotten so extreme at this point that some of the people, the people at the top weren't laboring anymore. <laughs> they were just right. kind of living off of the, the, because they had money to buy goods and things. They were able to basically buy other people's labor and have yes. them do all the work for them. And so you started to really have the beginning of not the beginning of, of aristocracy. Cause that by no means is true. They were around, but mm -hmm. this is the period now where, just the extravagance, the, the, the palaces, the gems yes. and the crown jewels and all of that stuff. This is that period where it really starts to flourish. Well, and yeah, even outside of royalty, even outside of ruling class, you had wealth getting absolutely, to mass. Absolutely. And you started to see a great disparity between the poorest citizens in a country. This is one of those periods where there's a lag between, like what we said earlier, as the overall economy there's this idea that as the as the entire economy does better, everyone should do better. And that's kind trickle of down. Well, but, but, but not necessarily trickle down because I mean, it is it is it is trickle down yeah. to some extent. Right. As the yeah, rich. get, yeah. it is. It is trickle down. Right. It's yeah. as supply side. Yeah. The more wealth that comes into the wealthy people, the more it will be given to others for goods and services for them to make for wealthy people. Right. Right. And so you also had this idea of economies always cleared. That was this idea. And what, the idea, what that literally meant was if there was a gap in the market, if there was like a vacuum, so, you know, there was a, an industry that needed jobs or there were people that were unemployed, mm -hmm. the argument was for a very long time that the economy would shift to, so that those people would become employed that those jobs would be filled by people who would try to find better work. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the idea was that the economy basically always righted itself and that there was no equilibrium position of, you know, uh, of, of joblessness. There was no, uh, there should be no period where, you know, stuff wasn't getting made because there weren't enough people to make the stuff. Right. right. Yes. Which completely misses a tremendously important part of the economic equation, which is the first off the cost of money itself, right? They still had not taken that into account. They also though had not taken into account the idea that economic factors, societal factors, whatever could lead to unemployment. That was, yes. that was static. That would not get cleared by the economy. Right. Cause again, you have more differentiating skills. People having more differentiating skills means if their skill becomes archaic, right. then that's not something that you're going to be able to find a lot of work in. Right. Or even things yeah. like, for instance, um, if your economy starts to do badly, people will tend to hold on to valuable things. Yes. Right. And so instead of businesses, because the economy is, you know, the idea beforehand was, the economy is in a downturn. Businesses now can hire people for more cheaply. That's what they'll do. And that will fix the economy automatically. 
they had no concept that actually all of these rich people are just going to hoard their money and be afraid to spend it because the economy's bad. Yes, exactly. And so no one's getting hired and then the economy gets worse, right? So that those kinds of problems led to a tremendous disparity in wealth where the richest were, were just fabulously wealthy and the poorest citizens were literally eating mud, <laughs> you know? So not a great Ugh. system. No, still, still not a good system. No, still not necessarily a great system. Now, what that led to though, were some pretty okay systems through bloody revolution. So actually the first people that call themselves economists, mm-hmm. people that study the economy were actually, uh, revolutionaries, were actually revolutionaries who, um, were in the court of French, the French aristocracy before the revolution. Right. So there's actually, uh, there's actually, uh, they developed a very famous idea, which is known as physiocracy. Okay. Which mm-hmm. is the, it's this idea that, um, specifically it was developed by Francois Canet. Okay. He published what was called the tableau economique, which was the economic table in 1758. What they talked about was the economy would clear, but it would do so in a way similar to how the body deals with an illness. Ah, yes. Okay. And this is still when they thought that pus was good for a body. So this is excellent. <laughs> yes. So specifically. They've just gotten over the plague. What could possibly go wrong? Specifically, what some of the things that they had as ideas were uh, the natural order, which was that there was um, men and women in a society came together because of a natural hierarchy that developed between them. So there was a, a, a right. So there was a leader and then there were the followers. Okay. But of course. They came up with the idea of individualism and laissez faire economics that the government uh, yes. should keep their hands off the economics, uh, the economy. That was specific still today. That was specifically due to uh, bread. There was a, there was uh, tariffs on grain that made bread shortages a huge deal. Okay. They had the idea of uh, specifically talked about private property. They talked about diminishing returns of investment. And they also talked about the need for investment capital. Okay. Ah. So a lot of important ideas really. Okay. Yes. And, but, but still not even their most important thing. What the most important thing was this idea that there were three primary economic agents. There was the proprietary class, which were landowners, the productive classes, which were agricultural laborers, and the sterile classes, which were artisans and merchants. Okay. And what he came up with. Everyone else can just eat cake. (laughs) What he, what he came up with was, uh, what he basically came up with was the idea that cash and goods flowed between those three classes, just like blood flows in the body. And so if there was an imbalance in the flow of goods and money in one area, it would lead to problems in the other two. Uh. So it still couldn't explain things like, like economic downturns or depressions. It could not explain unemployment. Um, Couldn't explain any of that stuff. No, no. 
But it was I'm just laughing at it. Yeah, the whole laissez-faire. I mean, laissez-faire is still very popular, though, right? The idea that the the system will write itself. You can't because the other thing that's happening too is you have more, um, the monarchy. You have more of the government starting to be called to help regulate things. Right? Yeah. There, the economy is not just you know the economy is affecting the people and so what is what is the ruling what is your your governing body's responsibility to the economy and to the people it governs yeah so you have all this starting to starting to brew together they're no longer separate entities or they never really were but they no longer can be treated as such either yeah now some of the some of the interesting things about these people that were there at the beginning of economy of economics really was um, the work of, say, uh, Mirabeau, right? Mm-hmm. Who um, basically basically wrote articles that were so inflammatory about the economic state of France that he was put in jail, right? So some of these people were not as... Uh, so Canet uh, was very well-liked in the French court. He mm-hmm. actually was uh, still part of um the court when things started to go kind of bad right when things <laughs> um, went south yeah look at that yeah but uh it's very interesting right so um their uh, their idea right was an idea that so this was this was uh the victor de ricuti marquet de mirabeau who was the father of the Mirabeau, who is well-known for the French Revolution. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. But he basically wrote, um, he wrote things that were considered to be very, very, what's the word? Very, mm-hmm. very revolutionary for the time period. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so these economic theories did spur on revolution. And led to the French Revolution, and also led to the American Revolution, right? Yes. But specifically, the American Revolution (laughs) was helped along by the work of Adam Smith. And specifically, his book, The Wealth of Nations. And so so, we are now at the point of bloody revolution. Yes. And that is where we are going to end our world tour of history, Marie. Yes. Coming up on some on some large changes. So next episode we're going to focus where things will stay more the same. <laughs> right. So next episode, I mean we seriously just did a crash course in like a thousand years Woo! of world history and economics. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, Listeners, hope you enjoyed the episode. Thank you so much for sticking with us. Next week, we'll be back for uh, Blood and Revolution and Money. how you can better prepare yourself for the coming economic collapse. Exactly. I'm very excited. I'm so excited, Marie. Hey, hey there. there. I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. 
We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. See you soon.